Amen. Good to be in the Lord's house this morning. Matthew chapter number 13. Returning back to Matthew chapter number 13. Continuing our series on the message of the Savior. And right now we are working our way through the parables found in Matthew chapter number 13. As we've mentioned, there are seven parables found in Matthew 13. And all seven of the parables are linked together, teaching us many different truths about uh, the kingdom of heaven. Now, whenever we speak of the kingdom of heaven, which we see this phrase is used often in the book of Matthew, the kingdom of heaven, when we speak of the kingdom of heaven, we are talking about in relation to us as we, as we understand it, we are talking about either Christianity as a whole in the world, it can definitely be compared that way, or we are talking about the church. And so many times we will see applications in these parables, and these parables can be compared to Christianity as a whole or the church. But here in Matthew 13 are seven parables written about the kingdom of heaven. The first parable that we looked at a few weeks ago was the parable of the sower. And as we looked at the parable of the sower, we saw how the sower goes out and sows the seed. And Jesus explains the parable that the seed is the word of God. And as the sower sows the seed, the seed falls on many different types of soil. There was, of course, a rocky soil. There was thorny ground. There was hard packed ground and then there was good soil. And Jesus said in his explanation that each of these types of soil represented the hearts of men. And through this parable, Jesus was teaching us uh, that not everyone who hears the gospel is converted and not everyone who seems to respond to the gospel is converted but only those who hear, receive, respond and bring forth fruit are truly converted. And so Jesus gives us a very clear explanation of the seed and it being received into the heart of man. The second parable of this passage which we looked at last week is the parable of the tares among the wheat. And as we saw last week, uh, this parable again drives home the truth that there are mixed in among the believers uh, those who have not truly accepted the Lord as their Savior. It drives home the point that there will be those uh, in the church who appear to be true believers uh, but who have never truly been converted. If there's anything that we can learn from these first two parables, uh, it is is this, uh, that we as Christians need to be diligent uh, to make our calling and election sure. Uh, we need to be diligent to search the scriptures uh, and discover whether or not uh, we have put our faith uh, and trust uh, in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, it is no question that salvation is simple. Uh, there is no doubt that salvation is available for everyone. But unless we have availed ourselves to this gift of salvation, then there is nothing else that will substitute to secure our eternity. A church attendance does not secure an eternity in heaven. Reading the Word of God does not secure an eternity in heaven. Giving large amounts of money to the church and missions and other charities does not secure a home in heaven. 
heaven. The only thing that secures your eternity is believing on the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And these two parables clearly indicate that there will be many in the church. There will be many who profess Christianity that there is coming a day when the Lord will say, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you because these people, although they appear to be Christians, have never believed in the finished work, the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when I say they've never believed in it, I'm not saying that they believe that it happened. I'm saying they have have never trusted their eternity into the hands of the Lord Jesus Christ, but instead they have continued to earn their own way to Christ. We see here that these parables make it clear that there is only one way of salvation, and that is through the Lord Jesus Christ. These two parables also teach us that there are in the congregation both lost and saved. And because there are in the congregation both lost and saved, there will be in the church both positive and negative influences. There will be in the church influences that are birthed of faith and there will be influences that are birthed of self-will. There will be things that are being that are, we are trying to accomplish that have come through our understanding of the calling that God has given to us. There will be things that folks are wanting to see accomplished that have been birthed of our own individual fleshly desires. There will be two types of influences being presented in the church. There will be influences that help and there will be influences that hinder the work of God. And this is exactly what Jesus begins to cover in the next two parables. Now we're going to look at the next two parables together this morning because they are similar in the message that they teach. This morning we're going to be looking at verse 31 and down through verse number 33 and we're going to be looking at what I've titled this morning, The Significance of Small Things. The Significance of Small Things. The Bible says in chapter Matthew chapter 13, verse number 31, Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like to a grain of mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is the greatest among herbs and becometh a tree, so that the birds of the air come and lodge in the branches thereof. Another parable spake he unto them, The kingdom of heaven is like unto leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal, till the whole was leavened. Let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer, and then we'll get into the message. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this day. Lord, it is good to be in your house. Lord, it's good to be amongst the family of God. Lord, it's good to have friends 
Lord, that love you. Lord, it's good to be able to fellowship uh, with believers who have put their trust in you. And Father, I thank you that we have the privilege and the opportunity to gather together in your house this morning. Now, Lord, as we begin to look into your word, and Lord, we can begin to consider uh, uh, this par- these two parables, Lord, that, that illustrate the significance uh, or the effect that small things can have uh, in the kingdom of heaven. Father, I pray that you will help uh, as I present your word. I pray, dear Lord, that it will be clear. I pray it will be understandable. I pray, dear Lord, that it will instruct us. I pray that it will challenge us. And Father, Lord, that when we leave this morning, we can say that we have learned from the word of God this morning. Father, I pray that you will be with each one. Oh, Lord, I know that if we were to take the time this morning, oh, Lord, and go person to person in the congregation, Lord, there is no doubt that every person here has something on their heart. They have something on their mind. Every person here, Lord, is dealing with a concern. Every person here, Lord, is up against some type of obstacle. Lord, all of us, Lord, face things. Lord, Job said, man that is born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. And Father, I know, Lord, that living this life, Lord, there are many difficulties that we will face. But so, Father, I pray that you will give a special blessing to the folks that are here this morning. I pray, dear Lord, that you will comfort. I pray you will strengthen. I pray that you'll calm their worries. Lord, that you'll help them to set aside their concerns. And Father, I pray that you will speak to them through your word this morning. And Lord, that they will be encouraged and lifted up and ready to go forth, ready to serve you, Father, I pray. Bless us as we look into your word and we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Now, if you remember last week when we were looking at this, I mentioned that the next two parables, that there was some debate about the meaning of these next two parables. Some feel that because of the mention of the mustard seed and the fact that the mustard seed is related to faith, that both of these parables must be relating to the growth of the kingdom of God in the world. However, there are others who say, no, the second second parable uh, uh, deals with leaven, uh, and leaven is always used as an example of sin. Therefore, uh, these two parables must be dealing uh, with the effect of sin in the church. And uh, many good men will go one or the other way. One will say that both parables are talking about the effect of good. Other will say both parables are uh, talking about the effect of evil within uh, Christianity. Now, when we look at the different parables, as we go through the Word of God and look at the different parables, you will find that not all of the parables did Jesus explain. Now, we know in the parable of the sower, he later explained what the symbolism meant. In the parables of the tares and wheat, he later explained what the symbolism meant. But when we look here at these two parables concerning the mustard seed and the leaven, Jesus does not explain the symbolism. Therefore, any conclusion we come to is not based specifically on what is said, but what we can conclude from looking at other passages of the Word of God. Now, I do not claim to have any superior understanding over the others uh, that have studied the Word of God. As a matter of fact, I greatly respect uh, their wisdom and their knowledge and the, the fact that they have devoted themselves to understanding the Word of God. But I also believe that the Bible always explains itself. 
And I believe that we can look into the Word of God and we can find an explanation that makes sense, that applies to these passages of Scripture. And so this morning I'm going to attempt to explain the meaning of these two parables in the light of other Scriptures and present a third view, which I believe is the accurate view and which many other Bible scholars also believe is the accurate view and reveals the truth that Christ is teaching His disciples in these parables and the truth that he wants you and I as present day Christians to understand from these two parables. As I said a moment ago, I've titled this parable, The Significance of Small Things. The reason we're looking at these parables together is because here in these parables we see a similar truth being presented from two different angles. First, we are presented with the amazing plant that grows from a tiny seed and then we are shown how also there is the effect of leaven, a tiny amount, affecting a large amount of flour. Because of the similarity of the comparison, as I said a minute ago, many people feel that they're presenting the same truth But I believe that these parables, while similar, are revealing both the effect of sin and the power of faith. I believe these two parables are showing both the power that faith can have in the church as well as the effect that sin can have on the cause of Christ. And in both cases, as we will see as we go through the message this morning, a little bit goes a long way. The first thing that we'll consider this morning is the mustard seed. The mustard seed. There in verse 31 and 32, the Bible says, And another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like to a grain of mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all seeds. But when it is grown, it is the greatest among herbs and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and lodge in the branches. Here in this parable, Jesus compares the kingdom of heaven to a grain of of mustard seed. A a seed so tiny, in fact, that it takes over 300,000 of them to equal a pound in weight. This is a very small, very insignificant, uh, very small seed. Yet this seed, which is so insignificant in itself, if it's sown in the field, uh, it will take root and it'll grow uh, into the largest herbs uh, of that region. Now I know that we have mustard here. The mustard we have here is not the same as what is being talked about there. The herb that is being talked about there uh, does grow up uh, into a small tree that is plenty big enough and strong enough that birds can come, they can rest in it, and it is the biggest herb or the largest herb that is grown in that region. And so Jesus is using that, something that is common, something that is understandable, something that the disciples would recognize. And he said, here's what the kingdom of heaven is like. It is like the seed of a mustard plant. And all of the disciples disciples knew uh, what that seed was and how tiny it was. Uh, he said, and although it is so tiny, uh, if it 
is planted, it will grow up until it is larger than any other plants in the field. When we consider the mustard seed and trying to find an understanding of what the Lord is talking about here, we will find that every time the Savior uses the mustard seed in His teaching, He always uses the mustard seed in a positive light. He always presents it as something favorable. He always uses it to exemplify something favorable. In Matthew chapter number 17 and verse number 20 again, Jesus is speaking here and he says, For verily I say unto you, if ye have faith as a grain of mustard seed, ye shall say unto this mountain, Remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. If we look in the book of Luke chapter number 17 and verse number 6, the Lord speaking again, teaching his disciples again during his ministry on earth. So we see that all three of these teachings were spoken by Christ during his time here on earth. I believe with all my heart that our Savior is consistent in his message. He is again using the mustard seed as an example. And in Luke 17, 6, he says, If ye had faith as a grain of mustard seed, ye might say unto this sycamine tree, Be thou plucked up by the root, and be thou planted in the sea, and it should obey you. In both of these two passages, both Matthew 17 and Luke 17, we see that Jesus is using the mustard seed as an example of the power that faith can have in our Christian life. He is using the mustard seed to illustrate our ability to accomplish amazing, astonishing, supernatural things simply by putting our trust in His ability. Now let me just stop right here and say that many people have misunderstood faith. Many people have felt that faith is a power that I can obtain. Simon in the, in the, in the book of Acts wanted to purchase this power so that he could have this power. It's almost as if some people see this faith uh, as being something uh, that I can obtain and once I have obtained it, uh, I am able to accomplish uh, tremendous things uh, on my own. That's not how faith works. Faith is amazing, astonishing, supernatural things taking place because I believe that God can do it. Faith is not me being able to accomplish something, but me believing that God can accomplish something and watching while God accomplishes it without any of my involvement. Jesus here in his teaching is teaching the power of faith. The ability to see God do mighty things simply because we believe that He can do it. If we believe that Christ is consistent in His teaching, I believe we can conclude that in this parable, where Jesus uses the mustard seed as an example, that Jesus is illustrating the power of the gospel. 
which is believing in the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe here in this parable, the mustard seed, he is illustrating the power of the gospel. Just as a tiny mustard seed can take root and grow into a large plant, a seemingly insignificant act of faith can grow into something significant that will change lives and affect all those nearby. Just as the mustard seed, when it is planted is unseen, it's not noticed, but later it becomes a tree that birds can get comfort and rest in. We see that faith, an act of faith, when we believe in God and believe that God is able to do something, that God can take something that is humanly, completely impractical and impossible, and God can do amazing, mighty things with it. This parable is illustrating the power of believing the gospel. I believe that this parable can be compared a couple of ways. First, I believe that we can see here an application of the beginning of the work of Christ here on earth. Now, we know the stories well, and we speak of them often, and so to us they are big events. But if we remember when Christ came, he was a babe born in a manger. He was unnoticed, he was unknown, he was unrecognized. His parents were not royalty, his family was not something that stood out. He was born to a poor family, he was a nobody when he came on this earth. A very insignificant beginning after he became a man and he began his earthly ministries. He selected 12 men to follow him and to help him in his work. So now we have going around a leader and 12 followers. This is a very small and insignificant beginning. There are groups all over the world, all over our nation, probably even in our county that consist of 10, 12, 15 people that you and I have never heard of. A very small, insignificant group of people on the day of Pentecost when the church was established. There was about 120 believers about 120 believers that God breathed on them and the church was born very small in relation to the entire world. But now we see in our day that millions of people have put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and this seemingly insignificant beginning has grown until it has affected all corners of the globe something small that has grown, and I believe that we can definitely see this application. But I believe we can also see a principle being set in place in the kingdom of God. We sing the song about it, that little is much when God is in it. There is a principle being put in place that Jesus is teaching the apostles here uh, that little is much uh, when God is in it. We see here a principle that those things which are done in faith uh, will amount to far greater results uh, than we ever thought uh, possible. Those things that we do uh, believing that God 
is able uh, will accomplish things that mathematically don't make sense, uh, that whenever we look at statistics they don't make sense, uh, but it is obvious uh, that God is uh, at work. We see here that God can take our little bit uh, and make much of it. Uh, Jesus drove this point home uh, during his earthly ministry. Uh, I think of Peter uh, out there on the boat uh, and he said, Lord, we have toiled all night uh, and we have taken nothing. Uh, Peter was a fisherman. Uh, Peter understood the water. Uh, Peter knew where the fish were at. Uh, he said, Lord, we have toiled all night. Uh, the best time to fish uh, and we have not caught a single fish. Uh, and Jesus said, cast your nets uh, into the deep. Uh, Peter, being a fisherman, uh, understood that this was a wrong approach, the wrong time of day, the wrong place to put the net. Uh, he understood uh, from all of his experience as a fisherman that this would be a wasted effort, but he put his net into the sea not because that circumstances deemed that this was appropriate, but because the Savior said, this is what I want you to do. And when he obeyed in faith, believing that Jesus could put fish in the net regardless of the circumstances, he obeyed in faith. And the Bible says that there were so many fish that they couldn't get them into the boat and the net began to break because he acted in faith. Jesus told him in this parable, in the kingdom of heaven, the most tiniest, smallest, seemingly insignificant act of faith can accomplish great and mighty things. There on the river or on the lake, as he told the disciples, cast in your net, he taught them, if you believe me, I can go be above and beyond the circumstances if you believe me. I think about the feeding of the 5,000. And the little lad said, all I have is a couple of loaves and a few small fishes. A laughable offer. At best, we would pat the little guy on the head and say, thank you, son, but we need something much bigger than that. But Jesus said, make the men sit down. It's supper time. He illustrated in this parable and throughout his earthly ministry that when it comes to the kingdom of heaven, uh, what makes sense uh, isn't what matters. Uh, whether or not you are believing that God is able uh, is what is going to make a difference uh, in the things of God. Never underestimate the power of a gospel track. Never underestimate the effectiveness of a kind word to someone that's hurting, a thoughtful card dropped in the mail, a text on Sunday morning asking somebody, hey, why don't you join me at church this morning? Never underestimate the power that your work for God can accomplish. Never feel that the small amount of money you're able to put in the offering plate doesn't make a difference. Never feel that your presence in the congregation isn't an encouragement Encouragement. Never feel that your role in the church is unimportant. Jesus said, in the kingdom of heaven, small things are significant. In the kingdom of heaven, in the kingdom of heaven, when we act in faith, our actions will be blessed far beyond anything we could ever expect. In the kingdom of heaven, little is much when God is in it. And this is the truth that Jesus drove home in the first parable. 
The second parable that we see in verse number 33 is that of the leaven in the meal. It says in verse number 33, Another parable spake he unto them, The kingdom of heaven is like unto leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till the whole was leavened. Now it's interesting to note, just for a little extra Bible knowledge here, in case you find yourself in a trivia sometime, that this parable is the shortest of all the parables. No other parable is shorter than this one. This is the shortest of all the parables. But its brevity doesn't lessen its power. And there is a message to be found here. We look at it in conjunction with the previous parable because although the previous parable illustrates the ability of Christ to multiply and expand our efforts beyond our imagination, this parable shows that sin likewise, even though in small amounts, can have excessive damaging effects on the work of God. Both parables are centered on the significance of small things. The reason I believe that these parables illustrate two different things is because just as every mention we find in the Word of God of mustard seed deals with faith, every mention we find of leaven in the Word of God, it is used to illustrate a negativity, wickedness, or evil in some way. There are many examples of this in both the Old and the New Testaments. In the Old Testament, leaven was representative of sin. Therefore, when they observed the Passover. It was called the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. Whenever we do the Lord's Supper, we use unleavened bread because leaven was a type. It's not wicked to use leaven at home in your own baking, but it is a type. It is an example of sin. This is how it was taught in the Old Testament. The disciples would have been well aware when Jesus gave this parable, they would have been well aware of the comparison of leaven with evil. And so we see in the Old Testament that it was used to represent sin. Throughout the New Testament, leaven is compared with many different things. Leaven is compared with malice. It's compared with wickedness. It's compared with uh, Phariseeism. It's compared with skepticism. It's compared with worldliness uh, and much, much more. But in every sense, leaven is always compared to evil. Believing that Jesus is consistent in his message it only seems probable to me that in this parable, when he speaks of leaven, he is again using leaven as an illustration of evil. One example of Jesus' teaching concerning leaven is found in Matthew 16. In verse number 6, it says, Then Jesus said unto them, Take heed, and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. If you go to verse number 12, it says, Then understood they how that he bade them not beware of the leaven of bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. In 1 Corinthians chapter number 5, verse 6 and 7, Paul refers to this use of leaven representing evil when he says this, Paul says, Your glorying is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? Purge out therefore the old leaven that ye may be a new lump. We see here in these two passages of Scripture in this teaching that leaven is being representative of sin and we also see a consistent message that it's important to purge out the leaven because the leaven will eventually affect the whole lump. 
I believe when we consider this, we realize that here in this parable, we see that again, Jesus is teaching the disciples the significance of small things. First, he taught them that a little bit of faith can rock the world. Now he's saying, but a little bit of sin can put the brakes on the work of God. A little bit of faith, uh, you can turn your town upside down. A little bit of sin, and you will be the laughing stock of your town. A little bit of faith, and you will see that hardened sinner come to Christ. A little bit of sin, and you will see even those under your direct influence turn and walk away from the things of God. When it comes to the kingdom of heaven, little things make a big difference. Here in this parable, I believe it can be also be applied two ways. First, we see the continual degeneration of the world as a whole. What acted as one act of disobedience in the garden? What started as one act of disobedience in the garden? Adam and Eve taking that fruit has now become a lifestyle that has permeated every part of our culture, all around the world. We can see definitely a comparison to the continual degeneration of the world as a whole. But I see a more practical application here, and that is I believe we can see the danger of allowing known sin to remain in our lives, in our homes, and in our churches. Allowing known sin to remain. It may be small. It may seem insignificant. It may seem that it doesn't matter. We may think that it is hidden. I love how Jesus made this comparison in the parable. He said the woman hid the leaven in the lump. It was small. It was insignificant. It was unseen. Jesus didn't have to use that word hide to get across the, the fact that a lady put leaven in the lump, but I believe he used the word hide because so many times we think our sin is okay if nobody else knows about it. Jesus said here, I'm teaching you about the significance of small things. Any sin, no matter how small, no matter how insignificant, no matter how well we think it's hitting, it will eventually affect the whole lump. If there is known sin in my life and I do not confess that sin, that sin will grow, it will take over, and it will eventually begin to control and dominate me. It will get me away from the things of God. And if it's not dealt with, uh, it will cause me to backslide uh, and walk away from the things of God. If there is a sin in our home, and we don't deal with that sin in our home. We know it's there, but we tolerate it. We allow it to stay. That sin will grow. It will take root. It will begin to affect our family. It'll begin to cause division between a husband and wife. It'll begin to cause rebellion in the children towards the parents. It'll begin to cause a disregard for the importance of the things of Word of God. It'll cause us to lose our hunger and thirst for the truths of the Word of God. It will cause us to, as a family, to begin to drift away from God. It'll cause us to begin seeking after the things of the world instead of the things of God. And sin left unconfessed in the home will eventually wreck that home. If there's known sin in the church, 
and it's not dealt with. And we allow that sin to abide in the church and we tolerate that sin and we put up with that sin and we allow it to be talked about. It's, it's public. Everyone knows about it. And we don't deal with that sin. That sin will again eventually affect the whole church until the church becomes ineffective as a witness for God in the community. Jesus here teaching the disciples concerning the kingdom of heaven says there's significance in small things. Jesus said our acts of faith are never wasted. They're always blessed. They'll always have far greater, longer lasting results than we ever thought possible. But in the same thought, any sin, regardless of how small, if it is left unconfessed, will grow and fester and spread until it dominates our lives, our homes, our churches, and renders us useless in the cause of Christ. In these two parables, Jesus both encourages us in our labor for the Lord and warns us concerning our temptations to allow sin into our life. A good summary of these parables can be found in the book of James. Brother Danny started teaching out the book of James this morning. Brother, this might be your next lesson, this verse here. But in James 1, verse number 27, James says this. And I believe he summarizes these two parables very well in what he says. He says, pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction. This is a part of ministry that many folks feel is unimportant and insignificant. Here's pure religion, visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. This is pure religion. Let God bless your acts of faith and keep sin out of your life. This is pure religion. Why? Because there's significance in small things. I'm going to ask each of you to stand there where you are this morning. In light of these parables, I want to ask a couple of things this morning. First, I want to say, are you giving your all to God? Are you allowing God to do great and mighty things through you? Or are you allowing the devil to hold you back so that you're not doing anything for the cause of Christ? Has the devil convinced you that you're not important enough or not educated enough or whatever it may be? Has the devil whispered in your ear that you're unable to do anything for the cause of Christ? Remember, it doesn't matter how insignificant we are, humanly speaking, God can take an act of faith and do amazing things with it. So I ask you, first of all, are you giving your all to God and trusting Him to do mighty things through you? Second, this morning, I want to ask you, are you faithful to confess and forsake your sin? I'm not at all this morning trying to proclaim that we can be perfect people. We'll never be perfect this side of heaven. But we can be people who keep short sin accounts. We can be people who whenever we realize there's a sin that's coming to our life, we are quick to confess and forsake that sin. We are quick to let God know we are sorry that we slipped up and to endeavor once again to live for Him. Are you being faithful to confess and forsake sin as the Holy Ghost reveals them to you?
You know what, as you live as a Christian, as you read the Word of God, as you attend church, and you grow as a Christian and you gain more understanding of the things of God, there will be things come to light that maybe you didn't realize were sinful before. But now it's come to light and you're like, oh my, I see. This is sinful. Oh my, I see. This is something God is not pleased with. As the Holy Ghost reveals these things to you, are you faithful to confess them and, and work on getting them out of your life so that you can grow closer to God? Or do we tend to decide we want to keep that particular thing in our life? And then this morning I also ask, are you here this morning and there's never been a time that you repented of your sin? There's never been a time that you accepted Jesus as your Savior. Just as sin can render a Christian's life or a church ineffective, if you never repent of your sin and turn to Christ, your sin will take you to an eternal hell. This morning as Miss Debbie plays, if the Lord spoke to your heart, I'm going to ask if you would to come.